Good morning. <clears throat> Good seeing everybody. Uh, please remember to stay muted until and unless you speak. Okay. We continue with the Diamond Sutra, Chapter 26. So, Chapter 26. Subhuti, what do you think? Can the Tathagata be seen by means of the possession of attributes? Subhuti replied, No, indeed, Bhagavan. As I understand the meaning of what the Buddha says, the Tathagata cannot be seen by means of the possession of attributes. The Buddha said, Well done, Subhuti, well done. So it is. It is as you claim, the Tathagata cannot be seen by means of the possession of attributes. And why not, Subhuti? If the Tathagata could be seen by means of the possession of attributes, a universal king would be a Tathagata. Hence, the Tathagata cannot be seen by means of the possession of attributes. The Venerable Subhuti said to the Buddha, As I understand the meaning of what the Buddha says, the Tathagata cannot be seen by means of the possession of attributes. On that occasion, the Buddha then spoke this Gata. Who looks for me in form, who seeks for me in voice, indulges in wasted efforts? Such people see me not. It's a very famous line from the sutra. So as you remember from earlier in this sutra, the Buddha is described as the Trikaya, the three Buddha bodies. The Dharmakaya, the body of reality in its totality beyond the limitations of time and space. The Sambhogakaya, the body of bliss or reward, which is the embodiment of realization and the manifestation of an awakened life. And the Nirmanakaya, the physical body of Shakyamuni Buddha, as a vehicle for expounding the Dharma. And Bill Porter says, Ultimately, however, these three bodies are one and the same, and the Sambhogakaya and Nirmanakaya are seen as manifestations of the Dharmakaya, for the real body is not separate from anything physical, psychological, or spiritual. Thus, when the Buddha asks Subhuti to consider his Nirmanakaya body, such a body is still subject to impermanence and is not what distinguishes a Buddha. What distinguishes a Buddha is the Dharma body. The Dharma body is the body that fills the Dharma realm. It is the body of reality, or reality itself. Thus, Subhuti can see the Buddha's apparition body, the Nirmanakaya. And over the course of this sutra, he has begun to comprehend the immensity of the Buddha's reward body, Sambhogakaya. But he still cannot see the Buddha's Dharma body, just as a fish cannot see the whole ocean. And then he says, if the Buddha is no self, being, life, or soul, what exactly is the Buddha? The Buddha is, by definition, the embodiment of enlightenment, the Buddha nature personified. By what, but what is the nature of such a nature? What is the nature of such a, such a nature? On several occasions, Chaucho's disciple asked him if a dog had the Buddha nature. On one occasion, he answered no to one monk. On another occasion, to another monk, he said yes. 
the difference depended on the disciple and whether Chaochu perceived that the disciple was attached to the phenomenal or to the noumenal world, to existence or to non-existence. Over time, however, Chaochu's no, wu in Chinese, mu in Japanese, became one of the most popular koans in Zen, and his yes was forgotten. Actually, it is uh, not completely forgotten because there is a koan um, that we do encounter in the third book that we study. It's actually uh, a Soto, another Rinzai book, um, the Book of Equanimity. So, in the Book of Equanimity, there is a longer koan that uh, brings up both answers, and a student encountering this koan has to transcend both as one. So he says, yes was forgotten. It would appear that Subuti too preferred no to yes. And obviously preferring no to yes or yes to no is a problem, creates duality. Chao Ming titles this chapter, The Dharma Body is Not an Attribute. Is not an attribute. Huineng says, to look for a form or search for a sound is to walk down the wrong path, as the Buddha said. Here, intuitive insight alone reveals what is permanent and real. Thus follow a chapter on how the Dharma body is not an attribute. Te Ching says, since the Dharma body has no self and the reward body cannot be seen by means of attributes, are these 32 attributes not a Buddha? The 32 attributes of the Buddha, uh, actually it says that the 32 chapters of, the, of this sutra correspond with the 32 attributes of a Buddha, physical attributes. This chapter explains that the apparition body is not true in order to show that the Dharma body is free of attributes. I'm going to read another paragraph and we open it up. The Mahaprajna Paramita Shastra says, if the 32 attributes of the Mahayana are the result of karma and the attributes of all the Buddhas in the Ten Directions and the Dharmas of the past, present and future are not attributes, why now speak of 32 attributes? If even one attribute is false, how much more so 32? And the answer, there are two kinds of Buddha dharmas. One is provisional, worldly truth, and the other one is ultimate, final truth, or absolute. In terms of provisional truth, we speak of 32 attributes. In terms of ultimate truth, we speak of no attributes. Or in a way, we can say that in terms of the absolute, each one of the attributes must be seen as, as not an attribute. Or each instance, or the way reality shows up, must be seen as no, therefore yes, as it is being repeated again and again in this sutra. Thus, there are two kinds of paths. The first leads beings to cultivate the path of merit. The second is the path of wisdom. 
Because of the path of merit, we speak of 32 attributes. Because of the path of wisdom, we speak of no attributes. In terms of apparition body, we speak of 32 attributes. In terms of real body, we speak of no attributes. So let's pause there for a little bit. And uh, reading this, listening to this, what... What comes up for you, for us? What do we feel in, in connection, to, in relation to this? Or, or maybe another way to ask that, how do we, where do we feel it in our lives, in our bodies now? How do we connect with that? By silence, that's one way. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go to words. Yes. I had a quick question. Um, I feel like I generally accept and understand what the word attribute means, but maybe it's helpful to, uh, if you could clarify a little bit more, because I keep using this word attribute so specifically what that really means in this context. Well, it means the way, so, so the Buddha, there's actually 32 uh, descriptions of how, or, or specific descriptions to the body of the Buddha or the appearance of the Buddha. Right, uh, one of them was long, long lobes, ear lobes, and then other uh, physical manifestations of the Buddha. The way he showed up, or the way he shows up, right? So, physical, different physical manifestations, specific to the appearance of the Buddha. Does that explain it? Okay. Or it could be specific to the cat walking by the screen. <laughs> so, uh, attributes are essentially not non-attributes, right? Uh, and, of course, there is here uh, uh, reference to the provisional versus the absolute. What does that do to the provisional? What is a provisional? Anyone? Yes, Daibo, good morning. Good morning, can you hear me? Yeah, hear you and see you. All right, great. See you not. <laughs> so um, this section to me brings up um, what we've been talking about in the provisional sort of manifestation of ourselves. You know, when we encounter our lives, we um, we engage in our lives in a certain way, and that way is never the same. It's always changing. So um, when we talk about the provisional, it's the way that we the way that we meet the moment, the way that the Buddha nature requires us to engage with it. Um, so in that sense, when we talk of, of no attributes, um, the provisional selves that we manifest is empty. It's only, it's only true in relation to the context of the moment in which it arises. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the next moment, it is different. So because it has no inherent nature, um, it can only be true in that moment. Um, so for, from when I read this, the difference between um, the provisional um, self that arises 
and the essential self that is always there. The essential self is that sort of energy that is always there that manifests itself in different ways in our lives through our physical bodies um, in each moment. So for the time being, thank you, for the time being, there is Daibo. Right. For the time being, there is Daibo, but there is no Daibo. Exactly. And but, the Daibo yeah. is always changing. So. Right. What we refer to when we say Daibo, or, or let's put this way, what we refer to when we say Daibo yesterday is not what we refer to when we say Daibo today, but yet it is. You see, there is that continuity. I mean, the... The thing is, you know, things change, but they change so slowly that to the naked eye, you know, we look in the mirror, we pretty much see the same person, you know, that we saw last last night or, or we saw a couple of days ago. So it, that does not mean that things don't change. They change very, very slowly to the eye. Nothing stays the same. Nothing is fixed. The only way to fixate is through mind, through thought, which is what we do which is where the problem and the solutions are, right? But if we can see that, if we can see that things are changing, we are free to use names, we are free to use language, we are free to say, I have a hand. I have a hand is, is, is not, on the absolute level, it's not true. On the relative level, it is true. Because I have to pick up the cup of tea and drink, so I have to do something with it. Right, so because I have to do something with it, it makes sense to say I have a hand, or let's let's shake hands, right? Because because of the moment, as you said, it arises in that moment. So the need verifies the attribute in this case, or the need verifies the specificity. But it's because of the need of the moment that the specificity is valid. Go ahead. Right, and it allows us to to freely use the attribute without, you know, the hindrances of yesterday. Or tomorrow. You know, yes. Every time is brand new. You yes. Know, if you look at it that way. Right. I mean, that, that is, all of it actually leads to an experience of freedom, of liberation. That's what we're talking about, actually, right? Change is, is, is the same as saying liberation. Although we, we, we may be terrified by that, but if we sit with it long enough and look deeply into that, we do realize that change means, change is not a limitation. Change is openness. It, it is liberation, essentially. So uh, we got a few people raise their hands. I think Kakuro. And then um, Yogan, right? You wanted to speak, but uh, and then we have someone else. But Kakuo, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it in terms of appearances and like the idea like beauty is only skin deep. Because when you said about the Buddha's earlobes, you know, I, I really never stopped to think about the Buddha's earlobes. But if I do stop to think about that, then I think about people's physical appearance, you know, and like the most obvious thing is who's attractive and who's not attractive to me. And then, but it's also who's charming, who is, you know, just charismatic and these things. And I, I guess what the sutra is trying to tell us is to look at the Buddha nature. In other words, to look at the universal 
soul or whatever it is in that person as opposed to their either their appearance or their charm or, or you know I think a lot about celebrities when when you you know I was kind of thinking about the, like what makes us drawn to a certain our favorite you know actor or comedian mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and then on the yeah. other side if somebody is you know the rare case where somebody is has such an intense physical deformity that it's hard to look at them um you know in that r- rare case but then like can we see past that past the physical right you think that's what that's what we're talking about when we talk about attributes well if you if you take the the line those who seek for me in form see me not right if you take that line then the, the thing with, so it can be used in that example you gave because the eye is is captive of the the mind right so what comes through the eyes immediately goes to being analyzed by the provisional mind, if you will, right? Uh, and that provision, the mind already has assumptions built in, right? So, and that becomes that loop, right? So that's all we see. All mm-hmm. we see is what we think. Because the eye and the mind, the thinking mind are connected. Right. So and, and ultimately what that means is that we are blind. We're not seeing. We're not truly seeing. I'm not seeing you. I'm seeing what I think about you. And, and not only that, I'm seeing what I think about you in what is already embedded in me. I'm not even seeing what I think about you now. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing what I brought with me to seeing you, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm blind and deaf and unable to even it's all. It's like we walk around within a cocoon and we, and that's how we spend most of our years within a cocoon. And that's why things repeat themselves. That's why we end up having the same experiences emotionally, psychologically, because we we don't venture out. So to see beyond seeing, or as Dong Chan said, to see from the ear and hear from the eye, to trick that. Right to not go with the automatic way of seeing and hearing, or to see with the entire body, if you will. If you see with the entire body, or hear with the entire body, you are less likely to be caught up by by the the uh, what you brought with you to the moment, right? Or by the karma. Yeah. Because maybe the cat comic. is actually relevant then, because the way our cat sees us, or the way we say our cat or dog or. Yeah. 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 So, so seeing beyond seeing, hearing seeing beyond it. hearing, right? That's what he meant. That's what he means by <clears throat> those who seek for me, <clears throat> excuse me, who seek for me in form, see me not, right? So, if I am looking at the attribute, I am missing the point. I'm missing the whole thing, right? I am missing it because I respond and react to the attribute. Or maybe I'm yeah. going to start to pull my earlobes to try to make them long, right? Because I think so what's that's the positive side. Supposing we supposing we transcend all of that, yeah. and we do what the sutra is telling us to do, then what does it look like? That's to be continued. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> okay. Uh, who's next? Uh, let's see. Uh, Myogen, go ahead. So a few things that came up uh, during the reading, and also during uh, what, uh, listening to what Kakuo was saying, um, I was reminded of uh, a koan, another koan, 
um, changing sound of raindrops. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the raindrops contain everything and nothing and they are relevant, but uh, they're not not relevant. Um, meaning, uh, kind of like what it says here in the book on page 379, um, just, uh, a fish cannot see the whole ocean. Mm-hmm. So everything is there. Everything has attributes and no attributes. And uh, we are all everywhere and nowhere. So the Dharma body has no attributes because it has all attributes. And um, also thinking about um, how does uh, how does the Buddha show up, but everything is there anyway. Everything is there already. Um, how does the Buddha show up is uh, pointing at an attribute instead of pointing at all attributes. Do you see what I'm saying? How does the Buddha show up? How do we encounter a Buddha? So, so how do we intimately encounter that? How, the Dharmakaya, how do we uh, communicate, encounter and communicate with the Dharmakaya? And then, and then it is, so the three Buddha bodies are one body. It's not, it, it is important, as, as it is illustrated here, it is important to not chop it up to three and see this, this, and not that. Yes, to see things as this is relevant, but this is irrelevant is missing the point. Yes. Because everything is relevant all at the same time and irrelevant. Yes, is what we talked about last week with the new year. It is auspicious and meaningless at the same time. Right? We talked about last week. Right. Uh, yes. So how do we, what does it mean to intimately connect with, encounter, and communicate with uh, the way the Dharma body manifests right now? I think it has something to do with what Ching Ching said in the koan I was talking about. He said, I almost don't lose myself. Yes. People are upside down. They follow after things. Upside they down, right. After that right, and that, right, right. And that. They lose themselves and follow after things is what yeah. Ching Ching said. Right. Because we're upside down, we lose ourselves and follow after things. Right, so I almost not lose myself is in a way to see the specificity, but at the same time to not get caught up by the specificity. So to be able to see the space while interacting with the the details. So Mm -hmm. we don't lose, we don't follow and lose ourselves. Neither to the space nor to the specificity. That, that having to do with um, what Red Pine said, just as a fish cannot see the whole ocean. You can't see it in terms of what's around you, what's surrounding you, and what you are. Yes, and the fish is always, uh, well, the fish is sustained by what it cannot see. Yes. In the same way that we are sustained by the air that we are unable to see. Wanting to see it creates a problem. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oji, good morning. Ah, you're muted.
actually was going to ask a question. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing this practice. Uh, I was going to ask a question about um, the difference between um, provisional self and uh, karmic experience, I guess. Um, and then the dialogue you just had uh, sort of mm -hmm. clarified it. And I will just relate it to um, a personal experience because that's all I've got. Um, so I'm dealing with some karmic uh, consequences of, you know, um, that, have mani that manifest physically for me. Um, and I've got some neurological issues. I'm going to um, have some surgery and, um, and I'm super grateful for all the technology um, that's available. Um, and I've had a question, um, you know, almost moment to moment about this experience. Um, you know, how, so how do I meet this karmic uh, consequence, this karmic flow, um, and interrupt it, right? Because, you know, I've been, uh, I, I've broken every fingers, thumb and ankle. I mean, I've just been brutal to my body. Uh, I've had, you know, serious concussions. And so, um, you know, because we can now, I, I've asked, gosh, how can I interrupt this? karmic flow. And thank goodness I can even ask that question with sincerity and, and really feel sort of excited that I, that I can. Mm -hmm. um, and then while you guys were just talking, I realized, oh, okay, so I just meet this karmic flow, um, you know, fearlessly with my provisional self, which is, you know, um, part of it is, uh, um, awake and aware, um, and able to make good ch medical choices, right. And, and, and partner with, um, a wonderful surgeon and physical therapist and, and, um, and take, take some medication. I'm on the fence about that just FYI. So if anyone wants to have a talk about this later, I've been actually struggling with it. It's mm -hmm. some of the medications judge it. It's awful. Um, anyway, so how beautiful to just get this answer. Um, yeah. Thank you. So you, what you're describing uh, is exactly that, right? You're describing that the, how the provisional self does not ignore causation, right? And that is uh, actually, we have that in one of the quants, uh, certain quant from the gateless gate, right? So the, the provisional self acknowledges causation, karma, right? And by acknowledging, things can change, right? The provisional self is changing anyway, right? All, I mean, even while repeating the same karma, if you will, still, it is changing, right? That's just a fact because it's not fixed. But uh, to wake up to, for example, as you're saying, 
things we have done in the past uh, without thinking much about it, not thinking about consequences, realizing, well, here are the consequences. I don't like them, but yet I'm going to be awakened to the consequences, do what I have to do, and learn from that, and change right. the trajectory. But the point in that and is not, not to ignore the way causation manifests. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and, it's, and, and I've had to have the humility to acknowledge, oh, it's still manifesting. You know, I've got, uh, you know, right. uh, I'm in a serious situation um, with my spinal cord. And, uh, you know, here I am telemark skiing, um, and one fall, I literally could par be paralyzed. And so I find, you know, and, and um, there was, I was, I was seeking this as in this sort of really greedy way of like, I've got to get all this in before I have the surgery, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there, I just was swept up again, but thankfully, you know, due to this practice, um, I was aware of it. Um, Yogan said something really cool. I'm just going to share it and then uh, zip it. Uh, she, she said, what we meet is ourselves. Do you feel as if the medication will help you meet this karma? That's a wonderful question. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, and keep us posted. Yeah. Anyone, anyone else uh, wants to say a few words or ask a question before we move on? Okay, so again, good morning. Morning, Roshi. Um, and everybody you else. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, the question I, I had was about the Dharmakaya, and um, you said wanting to see it creates creates a problem. Does that mean that we can never experience the Dharmakaya? No, it's the seeing, the eye is what it's trying to see. The experience is always there. That's what we experience. I mean, you know, when, when a fish swims through the water, does the fish not experience the water? Does the water not touch, envelops the fish? The fish is sustained by what it is trying to see, if it is, if it's being human. <laughs> if it's being a fish, it's fine. But if, okay. if, if the fish is a human, trying to see the water, how do you see what is sustaining you how do you see air you breathe it you feel it you experience it how do you see it also is, is there is it the same with the dharmakaya you can you can experience you can feel it or perceive uh experience it but you can't see it the dharmakaya uh there's nothing that's not included Right, it, it 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 is the body of reality. Right, you can imagine stepping out of reality and then create issues and complications. But even when you create issues and complications, you cannot step out or step in. There is a chapter coming up about uh, arriving and leaving. Right, you know, and and that's that's what it. You cannot, you cannot enter. The Dharmakaya, you cannot step out of the Dharmakaya. Okay. Well, that's, that's helpful. Comprehending it is, 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 is an issue, right? 
because of the way we try to comprehend it. That's why Zen ultimately always pushes us towards an experience, direct experience. The answer is always in direct experience because direct experience is alive and it's non-conceptual and it's not in question. It's just not in question. The direct experience is, is it as an experience. So, uh, thank you. Thank you. Somebody else raise a hand or Jürgen. I want everybody else to speak too, but um, I just wanted to bring up this quote that I, that, that's on page 380. Um, it says, Tao Chuan says, mold clay, carve wood, and paint some silk, add blue and green, and gild it all with gold. But if you think the Buddha looks like this, the goddess of compassion will die with laughter. Yeah. Yeah, we become enamored by that, right? And then that's that. As soon as we come, we become enamored by that, we we fixate. And we, when we fixate, we become fixed uh, in our minds, and we don't. We no longer experience change. Although things are changing, we may we may no longer experience it. So thank you. All right, I'm going to move on a little bit more, and then we can uh, before we end this chapter uh, talk some more. Shengi says, when you cultivate, make sure you don't become attached to appearances or forms. Some people practice with such diligence, they acquire powers and see lights or flowers or other wonderful forms. And as we just said, we become enamored. And they think they're enlightened. But all such scenes are related to one's practice and are very, very far from enlightenment. We should not become attached to anything we see. Thus, an old master once said, better nothing than something, this is actually Yunman saying, something good is not as good as nothing. And, you know, saying that, or even hearing that, something good is not as good as nothing, goes against the way we think. It just goes against the grain. It makes no sense. But something good, as good as it is, is not as good as nothing. Something good is fixed. Nothing is not. Something good is limited to the power it has as a fixed thing. Nothing is unlimited. Or the power of nothing is unlimited. Or nothing is essentially indestructible. Anything, everything is destructible. And therefore limited. So something good is not as good as nothing. Yunmen. Thich Nhat Hanh says, in fact, we should make just as great an effort to look for the Buddha where the 32 marks are absent. In stagnant water or in beggars who have leprosy, when we see the Buddha in these kinds of places, we have a signless view of the Buddha. So, this is an important point, obviously, to see the Buddha in everything, in anybody and everybody. And that means to go against our 
differentiating consciousness, not against, but to, to see beyond the differentiating consciousness. To see beyond our judgment, to see beyond or what Kakura was referring to before, to see beyond what the eye sees. Because what the eye sees, the mind already has assumptions about or actually concrete ideas about. To see and to see it in what the mind rejects, right? And he's saying here to see where the, the 32 marks of the Buddha are absent. So what we want to reject is what we have to embrace. And like, like the famous uh, koan, Yunmen was once asked by a monk, what is Buddha? Is he, and his answer was, Kenshikatsu, which is a shit stick. Right? And this is why uh, you would, we would encounter, we'd encounter such uh, answers. Because if we are unable to see it in a shit stick, then our seeing is limited to thought, right? And again, I want to bring up that last line from that chapter, who looks for me in form, who seeks for me in voice, indulges in wasted efforts, such people will not see me. Huineng, the me here, the me in see me not, refers to the inherently and essentially pure, uncreated, formless, eternally real body of all beings. If we look for Buddhas in attributes or seek dharmas in sounds, our thoughts will rise and fall and we will remain unaware of the Tathagata. Right? And Bill Porter adds that, what is the nature of Buddhahood and why is it so important that we see the real Buddha? And then he says, because the Buddha's real body is the same as our real body. Hence, the Buddha provides us with a simple poem to keep in mind while considering this question and our own answer to it. Where is the real, the real Buddha? And then back to Thich Nhat Hanh, when we first learn to meditate, we may visualize the Buddha with his 32 special marks or attributes. But once our wounds are healed, we should leave those images and see the Buddha in birth, sickness, old age, and death. Nirvana is made of the same substance as attachment and awakening of the same substance as ignorance. We should be able to sow the seeds of awakening right here on earth and not just in empty space. The beautiful lotus grows out of the mud without afflictions and suffering. We cannot make a Buddha. What we want to reject is what we need in order to realize. What we want, what we try to run away from is essentially what we want. But we don't want it. Therefore, we don't see it. that make sense? So that's the end of that. But before we move on to chapter 27, where are we at with this? What do we think? Yes, Sugiyoku, good morning. Hi, everybody. Well, I have a question about a comment 
by Thich Nhat Hanh on page 385, I think. Yep. Uh, when we first learn to meditate, we may visualize the Buddha with his 32 special marks. But once our wounds are healed, we should leave those images and see the Buddha in birth, sickness, old age, and death. Oh, and then what you just said. Yeah. Uh, Bonner is made of the same substance uh, as attachment and awakening of the same substance as ignorance. Mm -hmm. So my question is about this sentence, once our wounds are healed, we should leave those images and see the Buddha in birth, sickness, old age, and death. Mm -hmm. so I'd like your comments about what that means once our wounds are healed. So you're asking, uh, should we wait until they're healed? No, I'm asking what he means. What wounds are these are individual emotional wounds? Uh, all kinds of wounds, uh, karmic wounds, right? Uh, thinking we are, oh, well, let's just take poverty mind, for example, right? Uh, seeing ourselves as not as worthy, seeing ourselves not as good or better than, right? So, and essentially the, the wounds are what we have inherited, right? Karmically speaking, right? So we walk around with that, right? They're not necessarily wounds, it's just that they they because we trust it, we believe it, we follow it, we, we live by that, right? And that's why we see reality in that way. And that's why we see each other in this way, or ourselves in this way, right? So I think that, you know, this line, once the, the wounds are healed, is actually not talking about later, it's talking about now. It's talking about because there is no later, right, when it comes to that. He's talking about right now, am I able to see beyond what I'm seeing? Or am I able to hear beyond what my mind is trying to convince me that I'm seeing and hearing? My mind is very, the mind is very, uh, the provisional, right, the, the, for the time being, the, mind, the way the mind works is very convincing. It's very powerful, right? And, uh, and it does not see, it, because it is seeing separations, it does not see equality, it does not see preciousness. Or it, it has very specific uh, um, definitions for what is precious and what is not. Therefore, a shit stick is not a Buddha. Or I am not a Buddha because I am a piece of whatever, right? You know, the way I may think about myself. Right. So to see beyond that right now is I mean, or seeing beyond that right now is available. And the second we can see or see beyond that, those wounds are healed, but they're not healed because they go anywhere. They're healed because we we stop trusting it. It, it sounds like he's saying also use whatever techniques and and upayas you need to quiet the mind. <clears throat> to quiet the mind or to not be so worried by a very loud and obnoxious mind. Right? Okay. So quieting the mind is great. But what about times that we're unable to quiet the mind? And there are many times like that, right? That the mind has a lot to say. 
So at times like that, it's not that it's not available, right? So at times like that, you, you mentioned the pile, at times like that, what works? What has worked in the past? What should I, what techniques, as you say, should I employ right now? Learning from the way I'm practicing, learning from the past, right? What, what kind of techniques should I employ to be able to see beyond what my mind is, is saying? And then at the auspicious moment, if you're lucky enough to discern it, drop the technique. Do what? Say again the last thing. Drop the technique. Drop the technique. Yeah, you, you, there are techniques. We embody techniques, right? You know, you can say Zazen is also a technique, right? Uh, we can say because we are doing something in a specific way. It has its upaya, upayaness, right? So we are doing that. But then we do drop Zazen when we practice Zazen at some point. We drop Zen practice. We drop all of it. We drop Sangha. We drop the three treasures. Without walking away from the three treasures, we drop the three. We drop ourselves and everything that comes with that. Is that, is that okay? Do you want to, shall we move on? Very much. Thank you. Okay. Mioho. Hi, everyone. Morning. Welcome back. Um, I... A few things came to mind um, with the comments as well. When I started the practice, I I remember I I bought like eight different Buddha statues and had it everywhere, and I I needed that. I needed something physical, something that tangible, some some reminders and. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, obviously, as it gets deeper, I I don't need a Buddha statue to be reminded of certain things, right? So I do feel like when we begin, or I remember, and this was not long ago, um, to be able to sit in DBZ for such a long time, counting my breath was key, going, you know, one to 10, come back to one, and but I remember um, in one of my docusens, um, you said, okay, try not to count this time, you know, put it on the side mm -hmm. and see what happens, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it meant to me, like it is okay and it's needed to obviously pass the mind. We can't ignore it that the mind needs this, some construction or some things that are tangible, like, you know, but it gets to a point where as we get deeper, it, that's not needed anymore. You know, we don't need proof of anything in terms of understanding with the mind, right? Um, and when I stopped counting, <laughs> it was it was something that I'd experienced. But then I, with that was a liberation of, okay, I can count and I can always go back and forth without being attached to something like if I don't sit, and count, I won't be able to do this or that. You know, it kind of that disappear by just putting it on the side. And then I don't know for some reason as you were talking and everyone, you know, in the comments, um I went to visit a doctor of Ayurveda for, 
you know, just to see what I needed and medicine and stuff. And then he explained to me that Ayurveda believes in um, the vitamins and like supplements that we take. They're like, he said to me, you don't need supplements every day of your life. You need it for sometimes a certain period of time if there is an imbalance in your body. Mm-hmm. But Ayurveda doesn't believe in taking vitamins every day because if your body doesn't need them, right? But then again, we tend to overdo things and what can be healing at one point can become a poison at another point yeah. if we get stuck or you know, attached to it because mm-hmm. it is an attachment. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know, I guess it fit in my experience, but that also I'm, I'm trying to learn herbalism and I did learn that a lot of plants are medicine, but then they can also cause harm mm-hmm. If you either overdo it or if you just use it for a condition that is not for. Mm-hmm. So I guess this applies to, I, I don't know, for some reason, the Buddha at the same. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it is important to begin to, you know, just to begin something, we may need these things. But then eventually they need to be dropping, like you said, not drop that, well, now I don't need this, just drop in the fact that this. This is important, yet if it's not there, nothing changes. Because it's that that thing or it that is always there regardless of what's around. But again, sometimes this physical form needs Mm -hmm. reminders, obviously. yeah that's it that's what i guess that came to my mind thank you and actually this is a good connection because we we have it's true that we have lost trust in the in the healing powers of the body so we rely on medication we rely on vitamins we rely on herbs we rely on specific things because we think that without that the body is unable to do what it needs to do and the body may need reminders to do what it is born to do was born to do Right, and it's not different than the the innate Buddha. We need to be reminded, and then learn to trust the innate Buddha, and then the old wounds are going to be healed because because they are minuscule to the power of the innate Buddha or to the Dharmakaya. Right? It's not. Yeah, it it, it is. An, it has an immense, unlimited power as the body. So yeah, it's a good connection because it's the same. It's just once in a while we do need a bit of a you know a reminder or a pointer. We need to be told what we may not want to hear at times. Why? Because we forget. And actually when we forget to trust the Buddha, we remember to trust the karma. When we trust the Buddha, we lose trust in the karma. When we trust the karma, we lose trust in the Buddha. So, thank you. Good connection. All right, we're going to move on. Chapter 27, and it continues, actually. So, there is a connection to attributes. Subhuti, what do you think? Was it due to the possession of attributes that the Tathagata realized unexcelled, perfect enlightenment? Subhuti. You should not. You should hold no such views. And why not, Subhuti? It could not have been due to the possession of attributes that the Tathagata realized unexcelled perfect enlightenment. 
Furthermore, Subhuti, someone may claim those who set forth on the Bodhisattva path announce the destruction or the end of some Dharma. Subhuti, you should hold you should hold no such views. And why not? Those who set forth on the Bodhisattva path do not announce the destruction or the end of any Dharma. And there's a note here. Uh, the Buddha was known, as we just talked about, uh, to possess 32 marks of greatness, which were attributed to his physical appearance. Now, these 32 marks also appear in great leaders and in Mara. Mara as the equivalent, I guess the Buddhist equivalent of the devil uh, within us. But it's this, Mara possesses the same 32 marks of greatness. Which is actually an interesting point to raise because we could do, uh, as in Varukana Buddha, I am life force and I am destruction, right? So it's, it doesn't mean it's going to go in this direction or that direction. The potential is there. What we do with it is the question. Uh, and this is from another book uh, on the Diamond Sutra, Musong, <coughs> says, in a somewhat jarring turn of phrase, the Buddha says that even though the Tathagata is not to be recognized or limited to the 32 bodily marks, he is not advocating an holistic notion. His statement that the, Bodhi, the Bodhisattvas should not uh, entertain any ideas of annihilation of dharmas goes to the heart of the Mahayana teaching of suchness. Historically, it may be that at the time of the composition of the Diamond Sutra, the Mahayana was responding to, the, to a perception within the larger Indian religious tradition that the Sangha was championing a pessimistic or nihilistic way of looking at the human condition. It may also be, given the, the uh, amorphous nature of the Mahayana movement, that there was a branch of Mahayana that was advocating the necessity of uh, annihilating all the, all the Dharmas and that the Diamond Sutra was responding to such a way of thinking. Though the teachings of the two levels of truth and the suchness of Mahayana advocating seeing things just as they are without needing to annihilate or cling to them, in later articulation, the teaching of suchness goes even further and says that in their suchness, things are perfect and absolute. While the things of the world are encrusted within defilement in their relative aspect, in their absolute aspect, they are pure and untainted. One, one accepts the relative truth of appearances, but one discerns that in their absolute aspect they are, they are permeated with shunyata, with emptiness, and thus have no self-nature, right? And that is, that is uh, explaining how we need to interact with everything, right? Everything essentially is mirroring the same purity or is essentially of the same purity. Even when we defile it, it is, it is not not pure. It is not not, it is still shunyata. Or it is still nothing, even when we destroy it. So when we desecrate 
or our desecration, we should say, does not essentially do anything to nothing. Right? How can it? So, Chi Fo says, those who are attached to, worthy, to worldly dharmas are not free of distorted views. Hence, in the face of destruction, they cling to permanence. And in the face of permanence, they cling to destruction. But being inexhaustible and unending, the dharma of prajna cannot be said to be destructible. And having the ability to adapt to conditions, the dharma of prajna cannot be said to be indestructible. Here, when the Buddha talks about no destruction, he means that the Dharma of Prajna is neither destructible nor indestructible and cannot be grasped by such views as destructions or permanence. So one more thing I want to read and we open it up. This is Thich Nhat Hanh. He says, when we look at a table, a flower or, or the highest, most fulfilled awakened mind, if we see that they exist independently of other objects of mind, we are caught in the view of permanence. On the other hand, if we think that everything is non-existent, we are caught by, in the view of annihilation. The middle way taught by the Buddha is a way free of these two views. Liberation is not to cut ourselves from life or to try to reach non-being. which means it's right here, right now. Regardless of how we feel right here, right now. So, uh, Hoji, you raised the hand or that's from before? Yes, I, I, I had a question. This is a, another question that I've had on my heart, you know, regarding the um, circumstances um, our nation is going through. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of talk of, um, you know, um, treason, of defilement, basically. Um, you know, the defilement of our, our constitution and, you know, basic decency and, um, yeah. and, and I've wondered you know, how am I to act like in the most useful way? Um, there's a part of me that absolutely just doesn't, I don't worry at all about it. Um, and then uh, there's other times where I get um, caught up in it and I get super pissed. Um, you know, the that young man that lost his life, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, and these people are still, I get pissed. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go there and, you know, stop you from hurting mm -hmm. other people. But, uh, you know, so, you know, what's it all for and how do we act in, in times like this? Like what, you know, how, how do we act? What's helpful? Yeah. It's a very uh, uh, important question to, to look at. But the, f the first thing is, how do we react to seeing desecration, right? 
they're all symbols, right? I mean, those are all symbols, right? You know, everything we see, it is not the thing itself. It's what is the meaning of it. It means something. Now, the meaning of it is not destroyed. The symbol is destroyed. The meaning cannot be destroyed, right? So let's say that we, we have some items that for us, they represent freedom. Freedom is not lost when you destroy the thing, right? So, and, and it's important that we realize that and then, well, fine, we build another one and then we put that there and that will be the image of symbol. Now, the desecration happens, but it, does not, it cannot destroy that which, this, that which cannot be destroyed. Right. I, I get that piece. Um... So I get there's an element in this whole thing of, um, you know, if we, if we fail in some way to act or uphold, um, these principles, like the question for me is how do we uphold these principles? Uh, you know, when it seems, um, I'm, you know, I'm very concerned that um, this person is still in office, and um, that that's alarming to me. Um, and I, and I, I'm concerned about, you know, the longevity of our republic, if you will. Um, you know, I, so. So then I'm back to the question, you know, how, how, how do I, I can preserve it. No one can ever take it from me. I, I, I know that, you know, I mean, I just know that I would be okay in a jail cell, knock on wood. Um, and, you know, my, provi my provisional self is, you know, waste and wondering, what my marching orders are. It's a, it's a, well, they all know marching orders. But uh, w what's important is that we verify that within ourselves and then all the 10 directions are wide open. Do anything you feel is helpful. So there's no book to follow. There's no list of things to do. But, it, but we have to begin from seeing that even, so, so those who desecrate and what has been desecrated did not destroy the purity, whether it's in them, they may be in jail, right? Whether it's in them or in what they destroyed, right? And, and, and the question is, can that change the way we interact with each other? Can that change the way we view each other as human beings? So yeah, there is a possibility that, you know, things are going, well, things are not the way, they change all the time, right? So there is a possibility that democracy will be toppled and then, you know, rebuilt. There is always that possibility because things change. We did not imagine that we will encounter what we encountered in the past four years. We thought, well, there are fail-safe mechanisms that will prevent this from happening. Well, guess what? They don't, right? And, and here we are facing that. So now there is some reckoning happening, obviously. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes reckoning happens after people lose their lives, after things are destroyed, 
then there's reckoning and uh, maybe that that reckoning will be some will create some more healing it's possible it looks like this is the direction but then again we have to look at how we react and respond we we don't want to respond in a way that paralyzes us because then we are unable to do anything right so but i want to leave it at that and i want to go back to just before we as we are ending this uh, before we wrap it up um what the buddha is really asking subhuti is do you think that i have realized because of because of my long earlobes right of because of the way i look so so in other words do you think that if you don't look this way do you think that you don't have the same potential to realize and that is a very important question because we think that because we don't look this way or sound this way or or we or we still have injuries from the past right mental physical emotional then we are unable to realize because we don't have what it takes but having and not having is not is, is not even in question here it's not a question of having or not having it's not even a question of time it's not even a question well i haven't been sitting long enough i need another 20 30 50 years of sitting before i realize we don't realize anything else other than this so what does time have to do with that or oh, appearance what does Buddhism have to do with that? This is it. This is what we have to realize. Or, 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 yeah, this is what we need to realize. As is. Because the appearance is not a hindrance. Also, the appearance is not, uh, uh, the way we look, does not necessarily give us more points that, we, that help us arrive at that destination, the imagined destination. I mean, Mara had the same 32 attributes. So, where are we with that? Are we ready now? Or should we wait? Rezan is very quiet. Let's make him, let's make him talk. Actually, I raised my hand before. You did? Um, the, um, there is an idea which I, is important to me at, at this, in this discussion. Um, beauty, I think, is this experience that we have all the time, um, which is uh, in that experience is this tension between the provisional self and the Dharma self. That beauty, I think is an experience of things as wholes, as having integrity of having all the parts that are there, uh, be in the position where they should be. Mm -hmm. uh, and anything that's beautiful has a set of attributes, but the attributes can never define what the beauty is. And you can find all those attributes in another place uh, in which they are the devil or the Maya. Um, they're, um, so that experiencing of things as whole and and that word integrity that that can go together with that is really important, I think. Um, so what um, and I, what I was just saying about our crazy political situation, mm -hmm. um, it's trying to find um, 
the wholeness, the integrity, the, the healthiness, um, mm -hmm. health and wholeness are from the same root. Um, and um, maybe using, I mean, beauty seems to be one of the tools that we can, that we each have, because we all experience beauty all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And to, to use that as a tool to experience larger senses of beauty, um, mm -hmm. you know, if this is an incredible meal, what we try to do is recreate the meal, which usually fails. Uh, if this is a wonderful vacation, we try to recreate the vacation um, because we're not really getting the wholeness out of the experience. We're only grabbing at some of the parts of it, the ones that are available at that time. Um, yeah. So it seems that the more we can sort of dwell with beauty, dwell in beauty, mm -hmm. um, uh, expand beauty, um, that that sense of wholeness can get larger and larger, which seems to be our relationship with the Buddha mm -hmm. and with Buddhism is to get an appreciation of this greater and greater sense of wholeness. Mm -hmm. And beauty seems to be almost like a faithful companion that moves with us through that process. And I think it can um, be very helpful uh, uh, along the way in that expansion to kind of give us reassurance that there is beauty, um, that these things are whole and wonderful, and also that this is a process which is constantly expanding. That's it. Thank you. So when we externalize what we consider beauty, right, then then there is a problem with that, right? Because we see it outside and we, we and then we gain and lose that, right? And we want, as you say, rec to recreate it. But if we can uh, see that there is no line, that we are that beauty that we're seeing, we also are the ugliness that we're seeing, you know, because we, that's not different, right? So, so both, you know, we're seeing the beauty, we're seeing what we consider ugliness, and then the entire thing is us. So then we, we no longer externalize it and we realize that everything we see is essentially us, is a manifestation of that in us, as us. Right, so maybe if we see it that way, we are we we may be less likely to divide, whether divide between beauty and ugliness or divide between internal and external. Yes. If um, if the sense of beauty as wholeness mm -hmm. uh, kind of leaves less and less space for ugliness to exist, uh, so ultimately. Ugliness would be included in whatever this whole is that, um, yeah, uh, right. It's not in opposition. Yes, there are no dividing lines. It's just different, different manifestations, also different experiences. Different but, experiences that we we go through different experiences all the time. Right. We open up. We close down. You know. We expand. We contract. We love everybody, the next day not so much. So this is what we go through and it's fine. It's all within that same unity or wholeness, right? as, you, as you say, right? So to not reject within is uh, moving us to be able to not reject without. That's good. We can, we can finish on that note.
because um, we don't want to start a new chapter now. But anybody wants to say anything to wrap that up? Yes, Sado, good morning. Morning, everyone. Uh, I've been just sitting here thinking about what Ari was saying, and uh, I feel that uh, our marching orders should be expanding our acceptance and just uh, keep working with that and just not give in to the ugliness that's going on in the world right now and uh, to just keep including people in, in our acceptance. And that's it. Yeah, to keep expanding, that's always a wonderful way to practice, right? To always keep that sense of expansion to be able to include everything and everybody. And that's the wholeness uh, Rezan is talking about. Yeah. Right? There is nothing outside of that. Um, and it doesn't mean uh, we should not say something or do something when the time is right to say or do. Right, and it doesn't limit us to anything. Actually, if anything, it is it is opening things up in in all directions because everything is fine. You know, if that's what needs to be done, that's what we do. So, so there are no, so the marching orders, right? There are no marching orders other than what arises in that moment. If we are if we are in alignment with the moment, then we know what to do and we know how to do it. So we have to look for that openness. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So to be continued.